The following episode of Stay Curious contains mature themes and may not be suitable for younger listeners. Parental discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought, not division in community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City, where we record this in every episode of the podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, teaching pastor, dad, (laughs) sometimes basketball player, Mm -hmm. oftentimes golfer, Mr. John Wagler. Wags, what's going on, man? Uh, I, I am preemptively sore. Or <laughs> preemptive I'm, I'm strike mentally, on your own body. I know. Well, I just, so I, I had a game last night and, um, a basketball game and I had stopped anytime that I play morning basketball three days a week. Okay. Um, but if I have a game the night before, I don't do the morning one. Mm. And, uh, cause I'm at 45, I, my body just can't, Yeah, you, do. you know, it's like, you do have to respect your own limits. Yeah. At some point. But I did it this morning cause Max is playing with us now yeah. in the morning. So oh, I'm trying cool. to get him to play more and, uh, but I was like, all right, well, he needs to play. I played last night. My game got done at 8. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we play at 545 in the mm-hmm. morning. And so that turnaround time, just mm-hmm. my body can't do it like That's it used to. How is – so doing basketball and then golfing uh, being very different muscle clusters, I assume, do they, yeah. like, interact with one another? Like, can you golf too much and then go to play basketball and be like, Ugh, or vice versa? The twisting yeah. of your back is a lot. But yeah. in, in playing basketball, it's a lot on your back, too. So, like, uh, ironically, mm-hmm. which is wonderful, but I am actually playing golf this afternoon. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, it, so my body's going to, like, feel it so yeah. i like i use this foam roller and massage gun every day anyway yeah i do it morning and night mm-hmm. and um but it's i'm gonna be hurt yeah you're gonna be in a lot of pain um so we are just popping in real quick to do a little intro we're gonna air another one of our interviews from a few months ago um, yeah. at this point that we were using for discipleship although this one was uh saucy saucy <laughs> I am so excited that I got to do a content warning, (laughs) something I've always wanted to do. Um, And actually probably should have done for some old podcasts that I did and didn't. Um, So we are going to be talking to um, Sheila and Rebecca, um, who are the authors of The Great Sex Rescue, which we have mentioned on this very podcast before. Um, We recorded this before your sabbatical Mm -hmm. um, over Zoom with this mother-daughter duo who wrote a book about sex, which is wild. Yes. And it's pretty frank. (laughs) Yeah, I've, that's being kind. Yeah, there, there, there's gonna, yeah, there's a lot going on in this interview. It's very, um, it doesn't really beat around the bush. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good to talk to them. It was good to get a vibe for like them and how they are. They were kind, but as aggressive as they come off in the yeah. book. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's like the whole thing of like, like my kids always comment on why I'm so scary in the band but like actually so nice in real life sure. and sometimes that's true of like authors and other types of artists i would say that their tone was similar to what the book was yeah i think you know what they're really good at on an interview is uh they're, they're super sweet For sure. and they're funny and yeah. but they're 
uber aggressive and yeah. like kind of what they're saying. And then uh, if you follow Sheila on Twitter, she is a aggressive pulls no punches. <laughs> and um, and uh, but you don't get the when on Twitter she just feels aggressive. Yeah, you know. Whereas on this interview, like she's super nice and yeah. and everything. But the content itself, I think. Um, is important content for people to hear. Uh, is it? It's for sure geared a little bit more towards married, yeah. you know, folks. Yeah. Um, um, but I think the content in and of itself is just really good for people to hear. Mm. Um, Absolutely, and I think it really, you know, her primary thing, which I think we might say in the interview, but for those that don't know, like her sort of overarching theme or goal is to really undo some of the toxic. Um, yeah. uh, teaching about sex in specifically evangelical culture. So she doesn't even get into like Augustine and stuff like that. Sure. She's just talking like last 50, modern. 60 it's years. Modern, yeah. yeah. Of, you know, marriage books and sex books and stuff that have been published really in the evangelical um, sort of world that we live in. Um, and her whole thing is just like, undoing some of the damage that she feels that a lot of those books have done yeah so you know um especially probably for some of the men out there uh that have been doing church for a while and been in christian culture for a while maybe if you're in your 40s or 50s or even early 60s um hold no idols for this one because she (laughs) (laughs) might come for your favorite book on that may have helped you honestly and and maybe you got something good out of it she'll say that like she'll say i'm not saying that the whole book sucks right you know she didn't say but like the that they can get helpful things but yeah yeah yeah. so and i would say this too uh, i just got done reading uh, her husband and her wrote uh, the good guy's guide to sex oh okay and then Lacey read the good girl's guide to sex Mm -hmm. um and I did not read the uh, women's one yet, but like, I'll say this: I, I, Lacey framed the the women's one as like a an absolute must read for mm-hmm. any woman. Okay. I read the guys one, and I that's what I would say. Like, I would make it mandatory reading for like premarital counseling. Wow! If you're dating, like, I think it's yeah. it's uh, I, it should be mandatory reading. There's something about them being Canadian too, right? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I was talking to our friend Cliff about it. I was like, there's just something about the Canadianness of them that like makes it hit different. I don't know why. Um, so yeah, we're not going to do a stay furious because this is, this is not a furious episode, but it's fairly no, aggressive yeah. and it's long. Um, so we're just going to let all of the furiosity about toxic uh, teaching about sex just bleed into the interview. Um, but yeah, if you haven't already, we want to reiterate for serious. Yeah. This is this is probably um a, an 18 and up conversation. Um this is not one you might want to listen to. No, this is definitely not one you want to listen to. At least first time around with kids, teenagers. Correct. Um listen to it. I guess maybe if you want to give it to your teenager, you could. Uh, we'll leave that up to parental discretion. But um, yeah, th- this is one that um, you may want to listen to alone or in the presence of adults that you trust. How do you feel about your mom hearing this? I, you know what? I think what's really cool is I, uh, especially that you're living with them right, right now. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's true. Um, I think um, it'd be really good for people like in that boomer age. Yeah like to just get a better understanding of some of the realities. Mm-hmm. And actually I will say this, I actually it increased my grace mm. towards anyone older, mm-hmm. like in some of these conversations around sex, because I think, you know, so we've talked about this before, how, you know, we grew up in environments, we didn't talk about sex, sure. we didn't know things, we didn't, you yeah. know, whatever. And, you know, we learned stuff from mm-hmm. random books right. or movies or whatever. And, but when, when he like listen to Sheila, as she kind of picks apart like modern 
mm-hmm. like books and like even goes back a little bit further. You kind of like, I'm like, well, in fairness to someone who's in their sixties or seventies or even like fifties, whatever, like there weren't any tools. Right. Yeah, like there was no, it wasn't like you weren't using tools that were available. The <laughs> right. tools were not there. Yeah, so it increases the grace, but yeah. yeah. yeah I don't my, know if my mom will hear us. <laughs> she may not. Mine definitely will, but she was also a youth pastor in the 90s, so she's never been shy about talking about uh, the birds and the bees. Um, so yeah, we're going to take a quick break, and then without further ado, um, we will air our interview with Sheila and Rebecca, um, the authors of The Great Sex Rescue. Stick around. Y'all know we stay curious over here. All right, everyone. We are super excited to be here um, with the authors of a book that we talked about on a Stay Curious episode, but that is a frequent topic around the, the office. Most maybe of which, too frequent? I don't yeah, know, maybe too frequent. Yeah, <laughs> at what point the great sex rescue beca- comes up too much. Um, uh, we are here with Sheila Gregoire and Rebecca Lindback the authors, co-authors of The Great Sex Rescue, and we're here to talk about sexual wholeness for a culture that splits body and soul. Sheila and Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited. We're like a little nervous because I feel like we both talk, <laughs> we just talk we, to each other a lot. I we know. rarely have guests on. We're not like, like uh, we were talking about Preston Sprinkles podcast earlier. He always has a guest like every week. We yeah. rarely. We like to hear ourselves. Yeah. More. We just like yeah. <laughs> typical <laughs> yeah. men. We just mansplain things to yes. one another. That's right. Um, <laughs> which I guess arguably that's what podcasting is. Um, so we're super excited to have you all here. Um, for those of you who are in the disciple track, uh, the discipling track, who are in the connecting track, um, we are going to be talking about, um, yeah, sexual wholeness and how it relates to what we're learning about a fully formed life in Christ um, through the deeply formed life. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, we're recommending that you read um, The Great Sex Rescue um, by these two wonderful women. Um so before we get into it, we we want to have a disclaimer, I feel like, in church spaces. I'm, I'm sure you guys are great at this at this point. Although once somebody books the authors of The Great Sex Rescue, like, do you even have to have a disclaimer? Like, we're going to talk about grown-up things. <laughs> <laughs> we do tend to do, say, uh, if you have little ears listening, yes. this yeah. might not be the podcast. Because uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we yeah. tend to be very blunt. Yes, I like that. <laughs> great. And it wouldn't work any other way. Um, so yeah, quick disclaimer at the top. Um, if there are little ears who aren't ready to talk about, um, certain aspects of our incarnational, uh, experience, (laughs) um, then know that right off the top. And I actually wanted to read if, if I may, this might be a little embarrassing to read back to you what you wrote, but I wanted to read a little excerpt because I think that it really, um, serves as a great sort of like outline for how we're going to talk about sex and sexuality. This might be from Rich's book, I think. Oh, is this from I Rich's think book? So, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. It's not from your book. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. You know, we, I'm almost positive. You know, if, 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 so, if, if it, it sounds, sounds really familiar, smart, I'd be like, man, we sound awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. Truly a humble author can say, man, did I write that? Um, so, uh, Here's the quote. My intention is not to wade into the important and multifaceted layers of sexuality that include sexual orientation, transgender issues, and the social and political tensions that exist inside and outside the church. There are many other helpful resources along those lines. The goal here is to provide a pathway that helps us make sense of our emotional and sexual longings and to show our bodies 
to show how our bodies have everything to do with God and our spiritual development. You're right. That that was rich. Yeah. But, yeah, that's rich. Yeah. <laughs> great. I just can't tell great writing apart. You guys are both such great writers. Um, uh, so our first kind of question would be, you know, you wrote The Great Sex Rescue and and this was um, a project that kind of my understanding was came out of a lot of data. You know, it started with the blog, which would tell us a little bit about um, sort of the blog that started it all. Yeah, I started blogging in 2008 at com. That was the name of my first book. And I was a mommy blogger. I did parenting and organizing and housework and all of that stuff. And the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew until I became like the Christian sex lady, which is super weird. Um, But I leaned into it in 2012. My first sex book was out, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And then 31 Days to Great Sex, I created orgasm courses. I was just all sex all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But in 2019, everything changed Yeah, because that was when I started reading other people's books about marriage. And I had never done that because I was afraid of plagiarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one Friday afternoon, 2019 in January, I read Love and Respect mm-hmm. by Emerson Egrich. And it was like a nuclear bomb went off in my living room because I realized, oh, no, if this is how we're framing sex, then this is why all the people on my blog can't get anywhere no matter how much good stuff i teach them because they believe too much bad stuff because mm. you know he, he was saying stuff like if your husband is typical he has a need you don't have mm. Mm. and that sex was about a man's physical release while women only need emotional release mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i called my daughter rebecca who's here i know it's weird mother daughter thing <laughs> and i freaked out on her on facetime and we called joanna sawatsky who worked for me as well um who's a statistician and we just decided we had to do something about it. So yeah. that something turned into a survey of 20,000 women. Wow. And then the book. <laughs> well, and I do want to mention that you're sitting there with your daughter. Like, I think one of the things we try to do with our podcast is we don't always, almost never do we have ha- answers for anything. But like the thing with Stay Curious is that John and I just kind of like try to model what it is to come from different sides of a thing or, or sometimes disagree on a thing or whatever. And it's, it's the modeling of it more than having all the answers. And you all being a, a mother daughter team talking about sex, I think is <laughs> such a great model, regardless of the fact that the content is actually very, very good. It's such a great model of maturity and like um, demystification of like, no, it's not like the naughty, porny, like gross, <laughs> like, you know, whatever. It's like, this is just, yeah a thing that we all need to talk about and that like as adults, we should be able to talk about with our, you know, adult kids or our mom Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I really, I applaud you all for that. I'm sure that's probably been covered before, but I really like that. And seeing you guys both on Zoom right now, it's so, you're not, you're so comfortable getting ready to talk about this and it's it's wonderful. How did that start for you guys? Like, I don't. Well, I mean, when you're 15 years old, when your mom's book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex is released, uh, that, I mean, that kind of starts you on a trajectory. I used to go to uh, uh, conferences where you were speaking and help you at your book table when Mm -hmm. I was like 16, 17, because it was a chance for me to see new cities and (laughs) go places and sometimes visit friends along the way. And um, yeah, and people didn't realize I was the 17 year old daughter sometimes and would start telling me things like, I'm 17. (laughs) Uh, she's over there talk to her um but really just as as um 
as we grew up, I think I, I did a psychology undergrad. Okay. And so as we started to delve into a lot of these kinds of topics of how we're talking about things are not only wrong theologically, but also based on evidence that we know from psychology. I got really into it from that side Mm -hmm. of things. And then as we were doing this book, I was just also so angry at the uh, poison that's out there in evangelicalism that I wanted to be able to use my skill set, having studied psychometrics to help with this, Mm -hmm. um, this project as well. When you guys first got into the project, did you, Sheila, as you were describing that you hadn't really read, you know, other people's books and writings on it and everything. And Rebecca, I'm assuming you would be in the same boat, you know, at that Mm -hmm. point, of course, when you guys started doing all this research, was there just something that just like you were, you're that stuck out to you immediately. That was like, Whoa, I can't believe whatever this is, but I can't, you know, something that, yeah. When in back in 2017, no, it was when we were writing the first post on love and respect. I'm sorry. We were trying to convey how awful it was that this book was insinuating that women existed to stop men from sinning. Mm-hmm. Like that, that sex was something women gave men so that they wouldn't sin. And we were trying to convey how awful this was. And Rebecca came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote about it. How it's, it's almost like they're treating women like men's methadone. And uh. we thought that is so awful. That, that conveys it so perfectly of how disgusting this is. And then we read Every Man's Battle. And it literally says, be like a, verse, a merciful vial of methadone. It tells the women to literally be methadone. And we were floored. <laughs> wow. yeah, like we came up with it to try to explain how offensive, how offensive and dehumanizing <laughs> that experience, that idea is. And then, oh, there goes good old Stephen Fred thinking it's like a bonus. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, girl, be yeah. that methadone. And yeah. we're like, ew, that's gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, so that floored. The, the other thing that floored me, I, I think, would be sheet music. I was going to say sheet music was my big one. I thought yours was mostly act of marriage. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was you dedicated personal. the whole book to it. Yeah. Okay. But let, let's start with the sheet music. Yeah. One. Um, he wrote that he wrote to women that your period is a difficult time for your husband mm. in terms of sex. <laughs> so it's and so, so hard if on you're, husbands. If you're crampy. <laughs> Yeah. So like you're picturing and, and I know that you guys likely have a mixed audience of men and women. And, and I think that men often don't understand. I'm going to, this is going to be an immersive experience for a second here. Okay. (laughs) So you're sitting there and you just have this warm cramping feeling that kind of feels like you have to poop a little bit, like all the time. If you have bad cramps. Okay. You have probably a tampon in or something. And sometimes if you bleed so much, the tampon starts to fall out, then you're worried that it's going to actually fall. out. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, there's a lot going on. You feel gross. You feel really bloated. You have back pain. Your legs might be hurting and cramping up as well. And then your husband, who's had a perfectly normal day, comes in and is like, oh, you're on your period? That sucks. <laughs> Do you have a handy then? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's right. That's the example yeah. of loving your body, yeah. like lo- loving your wife as Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. According to yeah. Kevin Lehman, that's what a good Christian marriage does. Mm-hmm. And it's just, but even worse than that, while we were writing this book, mm-hmm. I was pregnant. And, uh, I had actually just had a baby. 
um, as we were writing this portion of the book. And we realized that Kevin Lehman later in sheet music expands that to not only postpartum to not only pregnant uh, periods, but also your postpartum period. Mm-hmm. So in the six weeks after you've had a baby, it's okay. You can just have oral sex. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. So yeah. it's oh boy. Um There's a lot to go like, off. It's of okay there. that you had a baby and that your vagina is no longer available. It's okay. You can just have oral sex. It's not she just had a baby. <laughs> it's yeah. don't worry, women. This is how you're gonna keep them from using porn while you have a newborn that you're still working on figuring out nursing and where you're yeah. not sleeping during that. And night. he's not the only one who says that. That's no. also even in Gary Thomas's new most recent most book. recent book, Married Sex, which came out after the Great Sex Rescue. He talked about how women get turned on giving hand jobs in the postpartum period. Like he doesn't explicitly say that, but what well, he, he just... says that they get more and more excited. They they're breathing. They get, get wet and they get wet yeah. while they're giving a man a hand job post. And I'm just like, if you're getting, if you're okay, if you are a man who is soliciting a hand job from your postpartum wife and you're feeling something wet from between her, it's that mm-hmm. ain't lubrication. Yeah, right. It's something else. Yeah. It's called blokea. <laughs> but anyway, it's, and so that, I think that's, I know these are very, very extreme examples, but, but you asked, are, you what, asked, what? Sure, we did ask, yeah. set ourselves up for this on us. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I think you guys are describing, you know, messaging that goes out, you know, and that people receive and how important it is to understand um, the messaging. Like, I don't, you know, one of the things that you guys do such a good job on in, in the book, and it's actually something we talk a lot about, even in discipleship tracks, and um, I do it with premarital counseling and everything, is is really going back and looking at your history and the messaging you receive that has shaped you know, um, how you view anything really, you know? And so can you guys talk about like the importance of that, like understanding and maybe even some practical ways to go through and be like, to, to like if someone's never done it, how do they discover the messaging that they've received? Yeah. How do you kind of like retell yeah. the story to yourself? Yeah. This was really the point of the great sex rescue, because what we were doing, uh, with our survey of 20,000 women is we were asking, how do certain evangelical teachings affect women's marital and sexual satisfaction? So we asked women to rate their marriage in many different ways. We asked about their sex life. We got up close and personal. And then we presented them with a variety of different common teachings. And we, from that, we were able to compare women who did believe something with women who didn't believe something and see if it had any statistical significant differences um, in marital and sexual satisfaction. And what we were trying to say is that if you have difficulties with sex, Sometimes it's just a natural outpouring or outgrowth of what you experienced growing up. It doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong with your marriage. It doesn't mean your husband believes this stuff. (laughs) Like it's not necessarily that our husbands have told us this stuff. It's the messaging that women especially grew up with. Mm -hmm. Remember that women read about 72% of self-help books. And that's in the secular world. I would assume in the Christian world, it's even higher because it's women who tend to do book studies together. So a lot of these things women have grown up believing and have grown up being immersed in. And we don't always realize the impact these things have on us. So I, I think what what's really resonated with people as they read The Great Sex Rescue is saying, oh my goodness, 
that's the key. I didn't realize how much these messages affected me Mm -hmm. and being able to identify what those harmful ones are. So I think, you know, reading through the book together is really helpful. There's a lot of check-ins and questions that couples can do together. Um, Telling each other your own story, right? Like, like, how did you learn about puberty? How did you learn about sex? Mm. Um, When you think of yourself in your preteen years about sex, like give me one episode (laughs) that explains what you were feeling, like an emotional episode. Maybe it was being embarrassed because you you're leaked through your jeans with your period or um, being confused because you got turned on watching a movie and didn't know what that feeling was. Like whatever it is, like explore some of those feelings and experiences that you had in those formative years and just share those with your spouse. Or if you're not married, (laughs) you know, just just journal them and start thinking through them because I think we'll be amazed at how much our view of sexuality has been shaped by shame messages rather than healthy messages. How do you feel like, um, like we're kind of working, you know, as a, as a Christian community and, and in a discipleship track, um, and as a mostly, you know, probably faithful listenership, um, we're kind of working on, on this idea that spirituality and sexuality are connected, um, you know, inextricably, like one of the things that I think you guys would agree that secular culture and some, a lot of the times Christian culture misses the mark on is the sort of like whole person concept of sexual health um, as being spiritual as well. Um, how, like if you need to define that connection between spiritual and sexual, um, what does that look like for you all? Like how do you define like this is how your spiritual life affects your sexual life and vice versa? Do you all have like a sort of quick and, you know, quick answer on that? Yeah, I like I like this one. This is what okay. I talk about all the time. I talk about holistic sexuality and okay. about how this is actually something that I think that in the church so often women have been told to learn about sexuality from men. And I actually think this is something where men could learn about sexuality from women. Mm. Uh, we know from a lot of studies, I'm going to go from the science route and then I'm going to come back and answer the question. Okay, so we know from a lot of studies in the secular world, for instance, that um, women's libidos and women's sexual satisfaction is highly tied to feelings of security in their relationship, feelings of just, just being in a good space mentally, um, being, uh, feeling very, uh, confident and, uh, being able to speak and have a voice. Um, so in essence, they don't have to make themselves small. Um, when we talk about sexuality and spirituality being, you know, intertwined, what we're in essence saying is you are not a disintegrated person. You are someone who exists on a physical, a spiritual, an emotional, a psychological plane. All of those work in tandem. And when we isolate one from the others, or maybe we choose only two of them and we miss out another part, we miss out on the holistic sexuality that we were designed with. A sexuality where, you know, if things aren't going well in one part, yeah, it becomes harder to enjoy sex maybe because we know that we're not experiencing an integrated life, right? A life where our walk with Jesus is a part of us. It's not just something where like on Sunday, I am a Christian and then on Monday, it just doesn't make a big difference for me, right? Similarly, I mean, how would we all feel if our spouses only came to us when they wanted us in one particular area and the rest of their life, they just acted like we didn't exist, right? Relationships are holistic. And similarly, our relationship with God 
is holistic mm-hmm. and that should encompass sexuality. Um, and I think this is something that what you were saying about how the secular world really does separate it, where it's like, as long as it feels good, it's okay. Like as long as it makes you happy mm-hmm. and it's, you know, not hurting anyone, then it's good for you. It's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Um, and mm-hmm. similarly in the Christian church, they are like, well, as long as you have a wedding ring, it's okay. It's like, actually what we've done there is we have isolated the physical from the spiritual because our spiritual well-being encompasses more than just whether or not we've said I do. It encompasses much more than that. We talked about that in our chapter on, um, mm-hmm. on uh, arousal and how in essence we get the wedding ring and then we forget about how sex is supposed to be intimate, mutual, pleasurable. It's supposed to be a, a holistic experience that cares about the person more than about the act. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're caring about the person and about the relationship and um, all of those more intimate and nuanced aspects of the relationship, we're not as able to separate out our sexuality from the other aspects of ourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes much more holistic. Yeah. I think, I, I think of uh, two quick things, Genesis four, verse one, mm-hmm really funny verse. Okay. It says, Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived into them a son. And I remember hearing this when I was in junior high and laughing because it sounded like God was embarrassed of saying the real word for sex, (laughs) but the Hebrew root for to know is the same root as the Psalms. When David says, search me and know me, O God. God is telling us that sex is more than just physical. It's this deep, intimate longing to be completely connected. And that's what sex was designed for. And we see throughout scripture, how God uses sexual imagery to talk about his relationship with us. It's this deep longing for each other, which means that both of you have to matter. Mm -hmm. Sex can't be using someone for anyone else's pleasure. It has to be both of you bringing everything you are into the bedroom because otherwise you don't truly know each other. So it has to be this completely holistic thing. And one of the issues that we have seen repeatedly is that it's very easy to channel our needs for connection into sex alone. And men tend to do this more than women, but women can do it too. Um, But you have sex to feel close, Mm -hmm. right? Because sex allows you to feel connected without having to do the work of connecting. Mm -hmm. And that's what can make it very shallow. I think what people want is for a spouse to say, I want you, not just, I want sex. That's really good. One of the things that, you know, I, I actually just did a session with premarital counseling around sex and intimacy uh, yesterday. So this is like fresh in my mind, but one of the things I always tell couples around this idea of wholeness is, and holistic sexuality is like, you would never say you, we all inherently know it because we would never say um, to someone who's been abused, raped, or anything. We would never say just get over it. Like you, you inherently know that it's way more than a physical act, you know. And mm-hmm. so, so we, but yeah, it plays out so often as just the physical act and separate from who we are. But even though, which is like warring against the reality of what we already know, you know. And so it's mm-hmm. an interesting way to kind of think about it. You guys talk about. Um, I don't know if you remember all the P's that you use and describing, yes. you know, and so I'm going to put you on the spot. I have them, I have them listed here just in case you need help with any of them. But um, <laughs> can you just like walk through those? Because it is a good way to begin to think through like a little more holistic view, 
you know, of mm-hmm. sex. And, um, and so if, do you want me to list them out? Would that be helpful? Or well, let's see if we can remember. All right, that no, that's, that. actually, it'd be a good <laughs> okay. time. A fun game. Personal? Yeah. Yep. Personal pleasurable. pleasurable. That was the chapter four. Okay. Pure? Pure. Um, Paired? Or is it, or did we change the paired? Did we change paired? Okay. (laughs) Chapter chapter five and six are pure, pure, right? Yeah. Chapter seven is about. Oh, that's the obligation. No, oh, no, it's no. libido. It's libido. Is it libido first? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Wait, how does, was that? Does libido that... start with a P? <laughs> so you have okay. the personal, uh, you have the pleasurable, you have the pure prioritized. Prioritized. That's what we did for libido. We had it yes. paired and then we didn't like that one. Yeah. Okay. Prioritized. Um, pressure free. Pressure yes. free. Uh, and then passion. No, passionate was last. Passionate was the last, last one. The, did the, we have what, one for just because There's another one in between. Put the other first. Put the other first. Put the other other first. Yes. (laughs) So so in the book, you guys say sex is personal, pleasurable, pure, prioritized, pressure-free, to put the other person first, and passionate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of talk us through um, each one of those really quickly? I know that's kind of like summarizing your whole book. But Mm -hmm. um, how did you all come to those those Ps? I'm just trying to number them. One, two, three, four, (laughs) seven Ps. (laughs) We just we we had a number of issues that we wanted to to, to address, and we tried to think of few words, which we had trouble. With. Um, you know, personal is exactly what we've been talking about. That sex is intimate, and um, it works so much better when the relationship is strong. Mm-hmm. And it really great sex really cannot be separated from a strong marriage. Um, it need it needs to have that element. Obviously, it should be pleasurable for both. um it needs to be pure so no sex or sorry no porn like no i need to have sex with you so i don't lust after someone else (laughs) like it's there's not a sin a sexual sin element in the marriage or it's never going to work uh pressure free no obligation and that's a huge one i'd actually like to return to because that's the huge the, the largest bit that we're finding that's harmful is this idea of male entitlement um, it needs to be prioritized as in libido should be shared <laughs> and we should each want it. And if it's not there, if someone doesn't want it, then let's figure out why. Yeah. Cause in, in the past, I will just say really quickly. Usually mm-hmm. if, if a wife has low libido, for instance, what she's told is just have more sex, even if you don't want it, mm-hmm. our libido chapter doesn't say that, but we say yeah. is if someone doesn't have a libido, we need to figure out why so that we can boost the libido. It's not about making sure they put out enough, even if they don't want it. Yeah. Right. Very different. Um, and then you should put each other first, like, just be kind, just be nice. A lot of the advice that we're getting is just plain unkind. Yeah. It's just mean. I'm sorry. The whole thing about the postpartum sex yeah. hand no, jobs was just, no. it's just not nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, go back to kindergarten. Yeah. Remember what you were taught, you know, just, and don't be a jerk. Yeah. And also if you have issues, then you owe it to your spouse to work yeah. on those issues. Yeah. And that's, and that that's a big part of that too, because all of us have issues of some part in some way. And if this is a big area, that's a struggle for you, maybe because of past trauma or because of sexual dysfunction, mm-hmm. um, you know, see a physician, if you've got erectile dysfunction, like seek some help and don't just stay stuck. I think that's another important part that's of putting one. others first. Yeah. And then finally, it should be passionate. It should be something which, is is 
just causes you to fly. It's just an amazing part of your life that's that's life-giving and that where you can celebrate the freedom and that you have together. And that that's the culmination of all those other things. What do you think where is the disconnect with the um the putting pressure like your you like the postpartum hand job, you know, as you put it. Where it I mean like you guys do a great job in the book of actually sticking up for men in some ways and being like, hey, you know, men in a lot of cases have been told the same stupid things that you have. And that's why we're all confused. And, and you know, some men are just jerks. Some men are just selfish, for sure. A lot of men. Um, I certainly have been. And, and, but where do you think the disconnect is? Is it just that men and women see sex so differently that a man would think, well, uh, you know, when I'm not feeling good, uh, it would actually make me feel better, you know, to have sex or what is there, have you and your research found that there's some earnest miscommunication or is it really just the result of, um, selfishness that probably stems from a sort of patriarchal kind of system? I wouldn't call it selfishness. I would call it entitlement. Okay. Like, I, I think, it. I think in our culture, we have we have we have approached sex as a male entitlement and a female obligation. Mm. And that's the root of most of our problems. Okay. Um, because when we see women's bodies as existing for men's pleasure and for men's sin management, uh, that's dehumanizing to both, not just to her, but to both. The difference is it victimizes her. Yeah. Right. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Do you find your your book being more um or do you find the conversation changing at all? I guess there, there are practical changes, but between single folks and married, like, do you, how's the response been or, or does your messaging shift at all? Or, you know, how do you balance that? Because obviously, you know, single and married are in different scenarios, but like, what's the difference for you guys? We actually are really surprised by how many single people have loved GSR, the great yeah. rescue. Um, we have a, yeah, we have a bunch of people who just love it, who are, um, currently single, who are long-term singles or who have chosen to remain single. Um, and I think it's because, you know, like how we were talking about how sexuality isn't just restricted to whether or not you are currently having sex. We all have a sexuality, even if we're not currently, you know, right. in a married sexual relationship. And so that means that we can have our sexuality broken and hurt even when we're single and we all know that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, it, it shouldn't have been so surprising that uh, so many singles loved the book, but uh, we just didn't think they would uh, like a book as much that was really for yeah. married couples. Yeah. Um, but I think that the conversations we've been having with a lot of people are just these, these ideas of this is why I feel this way about myself. You know, this is why I got into that bad relationship. This is why I don't, I, I had a hard time understanding why this was wrong, or this is why I knew that I should be wanting more. And this is why I now know what to look for when I, you know, find someone mm -hmm. uh, later, if they're currently looking. And I think we don't really change our message for singles. No, because, uh, frankly, everyone on our team got married before age 23, I think. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we don't really feel like we're the people to talk to uh, long-term uh, people who have experienced really any singleness because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we haven't been there. We haven't right, really yeah. been there. And so we don't yeah. tend to change our message uh, because I think to do so would be a little bit patronizing mm -hmm. um, from us personally. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
we're really glad that it's really resonating because yeah. I do think that there's been so much sexual pain that has that people have been told in the church we'll just get married then it'll be okay and it's like well what if it's not <laughs> yeah well, yeah like absolutely. what if you can help now what if you can start to fix these mm-hmm. things now and what if fixing those things helps you avoid destructive relationships yeah. because that's another huge group that's been reading the book is is women who've come out of abusive marriages and are just are just understanding God wasn't the one expecting me to do these things because that's the, that's the piece that hurts the most. When you feel so disconnected from your spouse, but you feel like God is telling you, I am not allowed to say no to sex. So God, God is almost like the pimp mm-hmm. who is telling me I need to do this and I don't have a choice. Mm. And for so many people, it's been so healing to see that was never God's message. That is something which is the church. And by church, I don't mean every individual church. I don't mean the body of Christ. Yeah, but we'll be <laughs> I mean, irresponsible if we, I, if we said anything yeah. other than it is church culture. Yeah. This right. is evangelical church culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what are some, one of the things that we're kind of talking about in our discipleship um, arena is practical practices, spiritual practices. Um, what can we do? you know, each day to like have this more deeply formed life and and all the different aspects of it. So to have a more deeply formed and more deeply spiritual sex life, could you guys give, what's some of the um, advice that you, practical advice that you give on a day-by-day basis to to both men and women, maybe first to women and first to men of just like, how do I, what are the little things I can do to work toward um, this more holistic um, mm-hmm. Christ-centered, um, um, mutual, you know, mutually pleasurable, mutually um, uh, fulfilling sex life. Mm-hmm. Can, can I try? Can I just jump? Yeah, in I have something really quick for my focus okay, groups. Go. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was gonna say one. One of the things that we heard from women repeatedly was that in our focus groups um, was that a lot of the negative messages were like this this internal voice, kind of like telling you, "Oh, that's dirty. That's wrong. Or you're failing. You're not doing enough. You aren't." hot enough. He's going to want to look at porn, like all these, this horrible um, inner voice and a really just quick practical thing that a lot of women found helpful was identifying what are the negative thoughts that I'm having Hmm. about sexuality, about this, and then asking them, are they true? Because you might be in an unsafe marriage where your spouse is actively, you know, being sexually deviant and is putting you at risk. And if that's true, then deal with that. But if it's not, if you are experiencing paranoia because of messages you've been given, you know, replace it with truth. And every time that negative voice comes into your head, replace mm-hmm. the lie with truth, right? The lie is, you know, you're you're a horrible Christian wife if you don't do this. And the truth is, I'm allowed to have a body that needs time to recover. You know, the truth is, I did not marry someone who wants to use me against my consent right? The truth is, and you can repeat these things to yourself over and over again. And eventually your brain will learn, oh, going this way doesn't get me anywhere. I'm supposed to go this way instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really good. I think when it comes to couples, yeah. And you're, if you're looking at practical ways to improve your sex life, to think of it more holistically, it's important to distinguish basic minimum requirements mm-hmm. from 
our dreams, our passionate dreams. Okay. <laughs> so for instance, one person, if they want great sex may want, you know, let's try new positions. Let's spice things up. Let's do it more frequently. And another person may just want an orgasm. Mm. <laughs> okay. Or may just want to have sex without feeling like you're watching porn first. Mm. And so I would say we need to be very clear that there are basic minimum requirements before we even talk about the extras. Mm -hmm. And the minimum requirements are, it needs to be pleasurable for both. Okay. So we have a 47 point orgasm gap, evangelicals, where 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter compared to just 48% of women. You're not allowed to talk about frequency. <laughs> You're not allowed to talk right, about yeah. spicing things up yeah. until she gets an orgasm. And if it, you and, know, until it's, and, and until it is reliable, it's reliable. And, and this, this might mean, you know, her going to, to trauma therapy to get over trauma in her past. It might mean um, figuring out the sexual arousal cycle. Cause maybe we've never figured out how to get her aroused. Um, there's all kinds of things that might mean, but let's explore this. Let's lean into it. Let's not assume she's broken mm-hmm. okay because that's that's one of the biggest problems is that women think my body is broken i just don't work it's far more likely that she's never learned how to listen to her body or feel arousal because of a lot of these messages and because of the dynamics that can start when you have sex it's super easy for him and she starts feeling what's wrong with me yeah and so does he <laughs> and so until she's having a reliable orgasm, you're not allowed to talk about anything else. <laughs> and until there's no porn use in the marriage, you're not allowed to talk about anything else. And until the marriage is healthy. So let me give you one super practical thing to do to make sure you're emotionally connected. Okay. Anyone can do this starting tonight. Um, every day, share two emotional moments with each other. The time where you're the most in the groove, the Holy Spirit is working through me. I am doing what I was put on earth to do. And the time you were the most defeated and discouraged, Hmm. you know, just share those moments with each other. A lot of people call it the high, low exercise. I don't like that because like your high might be, I won the lottery and your low might be someone, you know, rear ended my car, but those aren't really emotional moments. Those are just like things that happen. I want to get into the emotion of it. (laughs) So share those two emotional moments and that's going to help you connect. And it is that emotional connection, that vulnerability, that ability to be completely open and honest with each other. That's what actually fuels desire. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can be vulnerable, the more desire will build. And that's true in our spiritual life as well. When we're able to be vulnerable with God, that's when we start to have real breakthroughs and when the spirit can really work through us. That's really good. That's really good. That's awesome. You know, when you guys talk about um, whether it's the negative thoughts, you know, as you were referencing, Rebecca, and, uh, you know, so much, you know, with sex, obviously it uh, basically we bump up into all of our insecurities and wounds you know, when it comes to, when it comes to sex. And so what is it for you guys? Cause shame is such a big deal, you know, when it comes to this topic for both men and women, you know, and so for you guys, how do you, like, what, what's a, a process that you would like suggest for people? Like, Hey, here's how you, you can start to come to grips with the realities of like shame you might be dealing with. I have a kind of weird suggestion for people who might be experiencing shame around this is a lot of people who grew up in my generation in the church, Mm -hmm. never actually got real scientific sexual education. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What happened instead was girls were told, keep it shut. And boys, because otherwise, if you lose your virginity, everything's going to be bad, right? You're going to lose your purity. You're not going to be worth as much. You're not going to be able to get as good of a husband. No one's going to want you. All these horrible things we were told. And boys were told, make sure you don't look at look at porn. Make sure you don't have sex. Make sure you don't look at these kinds of girls because you could become a predator at any moment, right? Like you have this insatiable need. And so girls were told, if you have sex, you're going to become you know, you're, you're going to become a horrible person. And boys are told, uh, you are a horrible person. Um, you're just, your job is just to damn it up so that you can unleash your sexual perversion just on one person the rest of your life. And they don't say it like that, but that is the message that young boys are given. And so what happens if you're, you know, a young teen boy and you're getting unwanted erections, if you're in a, you know, not, if you weren't raised with this kind of shame-based sexuality, you might think this is embarrassing, but if you're raised with shame-based uh, sexuality, it becomes even more anxiety provoking mm. and it becomes even, even worse. And similarly for girls, right? Mm-hmm. Getting your period is often talked about as the sexual thing. It's like, oh, well now you, you've reached sexual maturity. She's 12. There's nothing <laughs> sexually mature about a 12 year old. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that giving yourself the chance to have an actual scientific sex education discussion where like, Hey, what did this actually mean when you went through this? If you haven't received that, because the number of people who we talk to who still don't actually even know where all of their organs are mm-hmm. when they're like 34 mm-hmm. um, is, is, is actually quite a bit. And so don't feel embarrassed if that's you like actually go back. Mm-hmm. You know, look on like you can go online and look for sex education and mm-hmm. it's perfectly safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually understand what's going on because mm-hmm. I think it can it can get rid of some of the mystery um that can can lead to shame because we think these things we don't talk about. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you can talk about them. Um mm-hmm. and you can, you can not have to be embarrassed. Yeah, I just want to say too, even though the great sex rescue is largely based on our survey of women, mm-hmm. there is one big area where men were made to feel shame and that's around the area of lust. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, after writing the great sex rescue, we did do a follow-up survey of men and that turned into our book or my book with my husband, with your dad, yep. <laughs> um, the good guy's guide to great sex. And we drilled down quite deeply on the issue of lust, because of course, what we're told is lust is every man's battle. Um, huge book series, men are visual. They're just made that way. So we asked men, do you have a daily struggle with lust? Mm. And 75% said yes. Yeah. So a lot, but not every man. Okay. Yeah. But, but certainly a lot. But then what we did was we, add, we gave them um, four or five different scenarios. Like, you know, a woman, a waitress with a lot of cleavage, woman dressed scantily, woman bending over, et cetera. And we asked, what would you do in these different scenarios? What's your most likely, what was your most likely response? And we gave several different options, some of which were lustful and some of which were not. Some of which were just about noticing her body, but not having it affect you. And of the 75% who said they have a daily struggle with lust, about half of them showed no signs of lusting in any of our scenarios and do not currently watch porn. Hmm. So a lot of guys think they're struggling with lust when they are not. They're just simply noticing a woman is attractive. And we have so confused noticing with lusting that a lot of men feel like I am perpetually in sin when they're not. You know, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman with lust 
has committed adultery. That's looking as a deliberate action combined with lust, which is a deliberate mindset. Mm-hmm. So noticing is not lusting. Seeing a woman is beautiful is not lusting. <laughs> like Even noticing the woman has a great figure is, is not, not lusting. Lost. And I think we could set a lot of men free if we, if we told them being a man is not a sin, <laughs> just as if we told women, you know, existing in a woman's body is not a sin. You aren't causing people to stumble by existing in a woman's body and men, you aren't lusting just by noticing. And I think those are messages we really need to hear. Yeah. That's really good. It's weird that just bouncing your eyes wouldn't work. You know, strong disagree. I think being a man is a sin. (laughs) (laughs) I personally hate the experience. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I I think it's really good because what you're describing truly is like a sexual wholeness, right? Like you're, you're like even like seeing one another as a whole person, as someone made in the image of God as, um, and that's hard because like you, because of the fractured messaging along the way or the brokenness that has happened, you know, whether it's your upbringing or experiences or whatever, um, there's a lot that has to go into that, you know, like of understanding what it means to become whole from, from not just, there is the messaging piece, which you guys are talking about too. Um, but there is like the heart piece that goes into this, you know, the transformation that the spirit of God has to do in us, you know, that allows us to, to grow and throughout all this as well. Yeah, I think what you're talking about there with the spirit of God, when it comes to sexuality, my, as we're reading all of these books and listening to, you know, radio broadcasts that talk about these kinds of things, what I see over and over again, as we're talking about holistic sexuality here, is that a lot of this just stems from a major fear of sex. Like we're really scared that God made us sexual beings Mm. because it seems that we think that sexual sin is it almost feels like we think the sexual sin is bigger than the cross because we can't expect men to, you know, just not watch porn or not, you know, sexually harm others in these books, unless he's also getting it from his wife. Right. And so it's not Jesus who causes a man to be able to live a sexually pure lifestyle. It's his wife's vagina. Um, You know, it's not Christ who is, the transformative power, but rather the ability to get the sexual urges out elsewhere. And so I think that when we're talking about holistic sexuality, we have to kind of sit with the fact that, you know, we know that Gnosticism was a cult now, like we're allowed to like having a physical being and God made us with this sexuality. And so we don't need to be afraid of it because it is not more powerful than the spirit. Like, having sexual attraction, even Mm -hmm. sexual desires, um, that's not more powerful than the power of God. Mm -hmm. And so there's no need for the fear. There's no need for us to, you know, live constantly trying to repress this part of ourselves, because when we do that, it tends to come out in really harmful ways. And the ways that we found in our books Mm -hmm. is it comes out with obligation sex. It comes out with, you know, in essence, taking what you need, regardless of if you even have full consent or not. It comes out in terms of, uh, for women, the whole repressing and being terrified of sexuality Mm -hmm. comes out in, you know, not like missing out on, uh, this goodness that Mm -hmm. you're supposed to have. Um, it also, and pain. As I was saying, not only that, it actually comes out in physical pain because our vaginismus rate, which is sexual pain caused by the tightening of vaginal muscles, is almost double 
mm-hmm. um, within conservative evangelical spaces as it is in the general public. And so this idea of not being able to accept that, yeah, sex is not more powerful than Christ, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, can lead to a really fractured sexuality, which has really bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's good. Well, that's a word we could, we could probably end there, but, and we might cut this next part out, but yeah. I absolutely, because <laughs> yeah, I have you, <laughs> I have you all on the phone. I absolutely have to ask this. So, um, I'm, I'm in a two-year program called, uh, the soul care Institute through cross point, um, which is rich Plass. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff. It's his, uh, organization and it's, it's Christian count. I'm basically learning to be like a pastoral counselor. And there was this huge, like, I don't want to say like argument. It was a debate, but it was a huge row in one of our, um, uh, one of our cohorts recently about the topic of masturbation. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, this is something we don't, I, I even, we just don't talk a lot about. Um, and especially, I think even in secular culture, we don't talk about it. You know, women don't get taught about it or young girls don't get taught about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even boys, it's kind of like, I don't, what are your options? Don't do it or watch porn or maybe try to do it in the shower or whatever without porn or you know even just trying to joke about it now there's like so little language about it what have you all found any and you guys do a great you women do a great job of um really driving home that that consent or that um mutual thing like it is Mm -hmm. not for some reason okay for him to have an orgasm and her to never have an orgasm like her having a (laughs) baseline for an orgasm is important and yet the mechanics are different, or unless that's an ignorant thing. To say. I mean, the mechanics are different, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you all have any thoughts on like how we have this conversation, especially with young women, about masturbation, about understanding how an orgasm even works for you in your body, um, and, and sort okay. of like mm-hmm. learning, you know, starting that conversation up front, even while we all are also encouraging young women and young people in general to, to wait or, or, or practice abstinence or, or caution or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have some quick science before I turn it over to you. Um, when I was doing research for our orgasm course, I did a lot of research into the peer reviewed studies of female orgasm. Uh, some of them are very strange, I will say, but, um, there were a lot of studies on orgasm rates among people who had versus had not, um, masturbated. It didn't actually seem to be that big of a difference um, in terms when you end up in a married relationship, whether or not you masturbated as a teenager didn't seem to be predictive of future orgasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like we have to do uh, what Kevin Lehman says in sheet music, where in essence, like you have to masturbate before you are married to make sure that you know how to have the orgasm so that you can please the husband. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're not doing any of that. Okay. Like the stu- research isn't there. Um, however, it also, um, has been used by a lot of sex therapists as a tool for women who struggle with anorgasmia. So if women don't orgasm often, uh, mm-hmm. doing it, trying it yourself is a lot easier because it's much more direct. Um, you get the direct feedback, mm-hmm. right? It's, right. it's imagine trying to get your spouse to touch a very specific part on your forehead versus you just touching it yourself, <laughs> right? If you're learning how to do something, it's often easier to do it yourself and then show your spouse to mm-hmm. where to, where to, where to go. Um, so that's what the, the research that I've seen um, shows mm-hmm. on women's mm-hmm. experience is that, you know, you don't have to orgasm. You don't have to masturbate in order to have a good sex life. It's not like you aren't sexual enough mm-hmm. if you don't masturbate. Um, it doesn't seem to hurt. And if you're anorgasmic, it can really help some women, um, especially then kind of teaching their, their, their spouse how to mm-hmm. how to do it. 
Yeah. That's I, the research side anyway. Yes. Yeah. If I could do unlimited surveys, I, 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 it's funny. I answered this question yesterday on a podcast about what would we like to study in the future? I would love to study masturbation, honestly, because I don't think it's been talked about well. And I would love to do some real surveys mm-hmm. on the impact of masturbation on one's sex life and on one's marital and sexual satisfaction later or on, or on one's um, self-esteem if one is single. Um, I think in marriage, the main question that should be asked, whether it's about masturbation or anything else is, is this thing enhancing intimacy or is it detracting from intimacy? Mm. I don't think that we can absolutely say masturbation is wrong or absolutely say that masturbation is okay. The question is, is it enhancing intimacy or detracting from it? And there could be times where it's totally enhancing, like where it's helping us be closer. You know, if she's getting trauma therapy for sex abuse in her past, and she just needs to take six months off to be free to heal but she also needs to know that like you know because of her own trauma she needs to know that he's in essence quote unquote taken care of yeah so that she can relax you know Um, maybe that's a thing Uh, you know or maybe they're away from each other for six weeks and they do phone sex i don't care more power to you than this is intimacy (laughs) but if 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 he's masturbating in the shower every morning because that's easier than trying to get her in the mood that's a real problem. Or if she's, or if he needs to rebuild sexual trust and mm-hmm. he's choosing to masturbate. Um, and she's like, no, I need you to prove me that you can go without any sort of sex because of how you have broken yes. trust. That's also not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's, it, it, it's not about the action. It's about the context. Yeah. I think it's like things. Paul's verse, uh, you know, n- everything, everything is, is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything yeah. is constructive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you it know? comes to masturbation and singles, <laughs> what's funny is every, every, the every man's battle series, there's two different books where it talks about how boys masturbate, but girls don't, <laughs> which is very <laughs> funny. Because I think the stats are that 75 to 80% of boys do, but so do 50% of girls. So <laughs> it's not like girls don't. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's, that's an issue. Uh, and I, I, again, I, I haven't seen anything that says that occasionally masturbating when you're single is going to mess up your marriage. I really haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I think that that lust is definitely an issue yeah, <laughs> that we need to think about. And masturbation is, yeah, exactly, is usually paired with with porn or some sort of elaborate fantasy, and that and that's more the issue. Um, but I think we need to take a much more scholarly approach to a lot of this stuff and, uh, and just say what is actually happening on the ground Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and, and what is actually healthy and what's not. And I'm not sure that we have complete answers for those things yet. I think that this is just one of those areas where it's easy to want a theological response, but this doesn't only exist in the theological realm. And that's what we're talking about with holistic, right? Is if we try to only have theological debate answers to things that are physical problems mm-hmm. uh we miss out on a, on a large section of it right because we're, we're blinding ourselves to you know the wisdom that we can glean from actually let's let's look at the research right mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's the physical side we have the theological side let's look at the actual data let's make this an evidence-based approach and uh let's also make sure that our it's in line with theology mm-hmm. you know so i'm not saying throw out one what i'm saying is we can give attention to one at the deficit uh, mm-hmm. to the detriment of the other yeah yeah Hmm. It's good. Um, well, do you have any other questions, John? I'm good. No? Anything else that you ladies would like to add? Thanks so much. We were late getting on the call, and we're keeping you late from the call. <laughs> Worst hosts ever. 
<laughs> I think my baby's still sleeping. So that's <laughs> a good timing for a nap. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Anything you want um, people who either have read or have not read the book um, to take away um, before leaving the podcast? I, th I think the big thing that I would just say is our call to the Christian church is to not be afraid of data mm -hmm. and, and to raise the bar higher on what counts as advice. We've let people write into the marriage and sex space who don't actually have qualifications for years. Mm -hmm. And those have been our best sellers. And we've been afraid to look at, at research. And what we would like to do is raise the bar and say, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. <laughs> he is the truth. So by studying things, we get closer to Jesus, not further away from him. And he said that you can judge things by their fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit and a good tree can't bear bad fruit. And so if we're seeing a bunch of bad fruit, that means the tree is bad and we need to reassess. And that's what we're calling the church to is to not be afraid of the fruit test <laughs> and to start examining the fruit instead of just looking at doctrine. Um, because that's why we've gone off track is we focus so much on doctrine that we've forgotten real people yeah. and real people matter. That's awesome. That's really good. That's really good. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, Sheila and Rebecca, if you all have not read The Great Sex Rescue, you absolutely should. Is there anything else? I know you said that you were just coming out with a, a book. Was it um, Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex? Yes. So I initially wrote The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, Great Sex in 2012. And then after doing this survey, I realized I don't agree with myself anymore. So <laughs> I asked the publisher to let me rewrite it. So we have just come out with the all new Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. And together they make a wonderful premarital curriculum mm -hmm. um, or great books for, for couples just in their first few years of their marriage so that hopefully they will start right and they will never need The Great Sex Rescue. Yeah. <laughs> love that that's really good that's awesome well thank you all so much for coming on and for giving us a little bit of your time um, and for the work that you're doing keep it up you all are amazing and we super value your voices in this well, thanks thank so much you. maybe I'll visit you in Virginia one day uh, you absolutely have to come yeah. hang out yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and to everyone out there thanks for listening if you have questions quips comments or quotes you can send them to stay curious at hillcityrva.com make sure to rate and review us so others can get in on the conversation and until next time remember to stay curious, curious.